Hey, everybody, this is Ariel. And I'm Kristen. And I'm LaToya. And how do we know each other? We're cousins! You are getting breadfruit, breadfruit. You are breadfruit. Just tell me if you want breadfruit, breadfruit. You want breadfruit. Catch it on to them called breadfruit. Watch it on. Hey, everybody, and welcome to our first show. With all that's been going on in the U.S. when it comes to racism and excessive use of force by police when dealing with Black people, we decided to invite some of our aunts to join in on a conversation with us about race in America. We wanted to get a better understanding of their experience as immigrants from Jamaica navigating race here in the U.S. With that being said, we hope this conversation creates opportunities for you to engage in conversations with your friends and family so we can begin to start seeing some changes. I'm here with our vivacious aunts who are so happy to have with us today. Collectively, you hold a lot of wisdom and insight from the richness of your experiences. So it'll be interesting to hear your take on this tough and important topic. So let's jump right in. Given everything that's happening in the U.S. right now, specifically seeing the persistent police brutality against Black people and the outcry of the Black community not only in the U.S. but also abroad, it would be really interesting to hear the West Indian perspective. So my question for all of you is, when you first came to the U.S. from Jamaica, how did you experience race as Black immigrants and how did you see yourselves fitting in? We always stayed within the Caribbean community. Um, we went to Howard. Was, well, it wasn't Caribbean community, but we talked with the Caribbean people at Howard. Um, it, our friends are all Caribbean people, whether they're Jamaicans or Guyanese, some come from Trinidad, um, St. Croix. I have good friends from all. And I have some good Black American friends also. Not a whole lot. Well, I fit in because we were... The school we went to was a black school. Um, we weren't, let's say, we weren't, um, I didn't feel it. I didn't, wherever I went, wherever I worked, I, I just didn't feel it. Because where I came from, it was social. Um, whereas here, it's yeah. race. And I understood the black and what we thinking, but we had class. We had class prejudice, not race. So I really didn't feel it. Or we didn't know how to, how to recognize it, you know? So it didn't affect us. It's hard because it's hard coming from the Caribbean and having the privilege of growing up in a majority black country where you never think about the color of your skin preventing you where you want to go. That's right. So when we all came here, we didn't have that psychological barrier plus all of the structural things happening here. So I'm curious, how, have you ever tried explaining this perspective, why it was hard for us to recognize racism in the beginning, to understand the Black experience? Like, what have you had conversations with African-Americans, kind of explaining to them how it felt for you, probably being recognized as a white American as exactly the same as an African-American, but you're actually very different. So can you talk to You've never had those conversations with Africa? I've never had it. I've never had that conversation. We've had, um, had those conversations at Howard. Um, because oh, even okay. though Howard is a black, it's a HBCU, but you have the African-Americans and you have the West Indians. Mm -hmm. And I, 
because the West Indians, we come from, it's a different kind of thing. Okay. And like I always say, Kristen, I think that subliminally, we come with a certain degree of, for what of a better word, arrogance. Because we know who we are, we know why we're here, you know, that kind of thing. And you come here for a purpose, you know. Right. So you, come in, you do what you're going to do, and you, um, and you roll out. And I, when you're in graduate school, you don't get, get into it that much. But I used to hear, like, in, in the undergrad, there would always be this sort of a, Many clash between the Caribbean students and the um, Black American students for the same reason because they said that the, the Caribbean students are arrogant, but because we, but we didn't walk the same walk with them, you know what I mean? And so they, they never used to like us because they used to say, "Well, you come in and you take over." I mean, seriously, it's an issue. Even though nobody don't really know it, it, it has been an issue. Um, at home because they think that the Caribbeans and not just the Caribbeans, the Africans as well, because you know it's a whole different people, it's black people, and we come in and we take over. I remember when I was um, a senior, this is my last year in school, right? And we had a new dean. Then, yeah, we had a new dean, and it turned out that I was doing a um uh internship at. Uh, General Hospital, and um, I don't know why this man picked me, but he decided to talk to me, and he is saying to me because I think at that time they had announced uh, or you no know, the applications because you know that after you graduate you can go into these um internships so to speak, right? And um, it turned out in my year they had one at DC, two at DC General, they had one at Providence Hospital here. One of problems happened in Baltimore. They had two general dentists. So those are all general dentist residences. They had two of them at Howard. They were new. And then they had three spots, um, in the oral surgery program, right? And it turned out that every single one of them things went to a West Indian slash African. Now you get to this thing on merit. But I don't know if he never realized that I am not uh, American. I don't know why he's on and he there, you know, complaining. I don't understand, you know, why and da 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 and stuff and everything. And I was just like, mm, well, we are him. Eh? What you're saying and what I'm saying is that literally we are being seen as different. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and treated differently. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. This is what I, I have since come to realize. Mm -hmm. that we are like um, we, we are looked at not as black American, you know we decided that a lot of us come here get opportunities you know way way more than they do and don't, don't recognize the fact and, and look down on them you know and we are getting what they have been what they have been fighting for we come here and read mm -hmm. yes yes we did so I'm back with my cousins, Ariel and Kristen. So how do you feel listening to their stories about how they experienced race as West Indian immigrants and the tension they felt with the African-American students? I feel like one of the things that, you know, stuck out to me, especially because, uh, like Auntie Judy said, she went to a HBCU, I always wondered what their experience would have been if they went to like a PWI, like a predominantly white institution, if like they were able to 
they would be able to understand how race worked in the U.S. a lot faster or in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, And that if there would have been the same level of conflict or Mm -hmm. would it manifest differently? I'm I'm not sure. I've never been to HBCU, so. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because I went to a predominantly white institution as a Black West Indian and honestly listening to them describe their experience you know over a decade before I was there longer than that it actually was the exact same experience I had that they did and honestly it me reflecting back and thinking about it it just I feel a lot of regret about how I handled it uh, uh, largely because I also found it hard to recognize racism, the racism that African-American students would describe as experiencing because Mm -hmm. I, you know, grew up in a different environment where race wasn't a topic of discussion in terms of what you can achieve. Race was a topic of discussion when it came to relationships, romantic relationships, but that's, that's an episode for another time. (laughs) Um, So I really wished I had spent more time listening and trying to understand, but, you know, I guess they had the same experience at a majority black institution that I did at a white institution, predominantly white institution. And maybe that's, because the problem is more among the Black community, the diversity of the Black community and the diversity of our experiences, whether you're an African-American or an immigrant, whether it's from the Caribbean or Sub-Saharan Africa, you experience it differently. And just to piggyback off of that a little bit, I'm going to share an experience from a younger perspective. So when, it, when race kind of became more problematic to me, I was more in middle school. So I went to my elementary school was predominantly white and then middle school and high school became a little bit more integrated. And so um, as I moved into like, you know, 11, 12 years old, I started to get teased a lot more by the black kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I felt a lot of the black kids said that I wasn't black enough. They called me an Oreo a lot. Um, And so obviously it stems from a little bit of what Auntie Althea had referred to, like, you know, people from the West Indies come with this certain level of arrogance. So because my parents are obviously Jamaican born, they instilled in me certain values, certain traditions. Um, So there were things that I wasn't allowed to do, places I wasn't allowed to go. Um, They wanted me to focus on school. And um, I guess that came off as me thinking that I was too good for people or that I was stuck up. And so at that age, I felt a little bit of that tension and I wasn't, I, I didn't know what it was or where it was coming from. And so it actually wasn't until we started to have these conversations that I really realized that maybe it was related to, you know, values and things that were instilled in me from a young age. It's interesting you said that. And it's so weird because like we all kind of, well, like Ariel and I both grew up in like the same state but you like lived in a different um lived a different area went to different school like I I also went to when I was younger I went to a small like Catholic school and it was when I first started it was predominantly a white school so 
there wasn't that many black students for me to even like um engage with so it was like when finally there were black students coming into the school it was like i didn't even care like whether you're western or not it was just like finally somebody i can mm-hmm. talk to okay. um and the my school demographics did change by the time i reached the eighth grade i went to the same school for like from first to eighth grade um and so the demographics changed and then i went to a high school that was predominantly black um I probably what you're describing, I like felt a little bit of that when I went into my high school, but the it was also a Catholic high school and there were a lot of girls that were similar to me. So it was just like I if I felt it it didn't I didn't feel it too long. Like mm-hmm. there was just like a diversity of like black students there in general. Um that like if I reckoned with it, 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 I didn't deal with it for a very, very long time. Um, and so, I don't know. It's just, like, interesting. But I did deal with, like, being, like, uh, one of the few Black people mm-hmm. in a predominantly white environment. Mm-hmm. And, like, you feel it, and it's isolating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my parents, the one thing is, like, my parents, similar, like you said, like, they instill values. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think one of the biggest values that was instilled in me. And like, you can hear it when my mom is like, well, we West Indians come with a level of arrogance. (laughs) It was the same thing where it's just like, I felt isolated, but I never felt like less than like white. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ariel, how was it for you as well? Do you feel like you growing up here, like you talked about middle school and about, you know, having some negative experiences around, being called an Oreo and all these things, but did that expand to any, you know, conversations where you felt people or people made you feel like you weren't going to be able to achieve what you wanted to because you were black? Or did you feel like you were shielded a bit from by your West Indian family? Right. I feel like it's complicated because I definitely don't feel like I, um, didn't have what it took to be successful. But at the same time, I do remember times when my mom said, you know what, you're a black woman, you need to work twice as hard as everybody else. Mm. And those conversations started to become a little bit more prominent, not specifically with me, but especially as my sister got older, when Mm. she was in high school, and she was starting to align with, you know, some of the more troublesome kids. (laughs) My mom used to always say, you know what, you you're out there, you're running these streets, and you're not doing what you're supposed to do. But you don't know what your friends are doing when they're at home. You don't Mm -hmm. know if they're, you know, studying their books, and Mm -hmm. you're there like gallivanting, thinking that everything is a game, everything is Mm -hmm. a party, and it's not. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit complicated, because I think I did, I did experience both sides. Like I experienced Mm -hmm. my mom saying, you know what, you do need to buckle down, you need to work harder. But at the same time, there was still that level of like, I never felt like I could not achieve. Mm. Yeah. I will say that like, even for African-Americans in this country, there, I don't want to give the impression that a lot of African-Americans may not have like role models. There are a lot of well-to-do African-Americans. Definitely. And that they have been given, like, the encouragement from their family and they Mm -hmm. see, like, good examples. I think the difference is, is that, like, that message also comes with, like, nothing is handed to you and uh, you're going to have to prove Mm -hmm. yourself Mm -hmm. to other people because Mm -hmm. they're going to, like, downplay you. Where, Mm -hmm. like, 
my parents have never explicitly said like you need to do this because yes. you like That's... it was like <laughs> yes. yeah it was just yeah. very much like yo you can do this and yes. there's no reason for it there are no care. barriers yeah <laughs> there there's are none. you have no excuse it's like there's plenty <laughs> of people like that are smart just as smart as you if not smarter has gone just mm-hmm. as far I like mm-hmm. and then I would go to Jamaica and I'll see my cousins and they're like like they're smart they're very bright I have successful people in my family like like my mom just instilled in me like look at your family around you and look how mm-hmm. much they accomplish there's no mm-hmm. reason for you not to do that what do you guys think about like the internship story that you know my mom said where like all the all the Caribbean and African students got the internship and like position. It was really hard for me to hear that story because because it's clear like we were yeah. definitely multiple generations of Black immigrant families are standing on the shoulders of Black Americans. Um, is are there? policies are there systemic changes that need to take place I do think the education piece is super important like I know when I was in university I don't think taking African-American history did not count as a general education requirement you had to take European history uh, Mm -hmm. you know and I there is a lot of protests on campus and I, I do think they eventually changed it um but I mean, that's crazy. What do you mean African-American history isn't required? Uh, it doesn't count officially. Hmm. Um, wow. So, you know, that that is a clear education that needs to happen. The, the culture of the media and how we mm-hmm. how African-Americans are portrayed needs to change. Um, and I, I do see changes, but it's nowhere near enough. Um, but beyond that, getting to the outcomes, the outcomes of black advancement, like what, like what are, what are the other solutions? Um, it's a complicated problem. Mm -hmm. I think first, it's weird because I think among black people, we understand the diversity among black people. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I think outside of that, like, at a, like a national level, I think to a certain extent they understand that black people are diverse, but even in the how they address like black issues, mm-hmm. it doesn't reflect that. Or mm-hmm. just like when we talk about oppression of black people in this country, I mean black mm-hmm. people are immigrants too, <laughs> and mm-hmm. so like that like immigration doesn't seem like a black issue, but it is. Like, but it is, yeah. yeah. And so that's one aspect of it. Um, but like on a programmatic level, like. I remember going to Tulane and probably one of my biggest criticisms of Tulane School of Public Health, and yes, I put the name out there, (laughs) is that (laughs) the Black population was, like, majority, like, um, African immigrants. Mm -hmm. Like, there weren't that many Black Americans there. And then on top of it, if there were, like, students that, like, had U.S. citizenship, a lot of us were still, like, you know, you know, Caribbean American or like mm-hmm. you know, Nigerian American or like mm-hmm. from other or like Congolese or you know mm-hmm. everywhere else and so 
when you're looking at that, there really was just a handful of people where I can say like they were African-American and like mm-hmm. the universities assume they like they I feel like they play around with this idea of diversity where it's just mm-hmm. like they can do two check marks like, OK, if we bring in a, um, a person from Nigeria, we can say this is our international population and they're black. Look how diverse we are. But they're not really thinking about what's the point of affirmative action for real. Like you're talking about you want to bring in black people or African-Americans. Are you talking about like having people um, also like diversity in class and income? And like mm-hmm. you're bringing in like black middle class students, but you're not mm-hmm. also bringing in like black like um, students like from mm-hmm. lower socioeconomic like status. Like mm-hmm. um, they're not doing any of that. And so you realize like how easy it is to undermine all of that. Like, I, I just think that it's just diversity efforts. I think they just make a joke. Like, I don't think they really take this seriously at all. Yeah, there are actually things that I wanted to circle back to Latoya that you mentioned. You mentioned that um, education, our education system needs to change. Mm-hmm. Um, so with education, I do agree that the U.S. needs a complete overhaul when it comes to um, educating students. I feel like it has done a complete injustice for everybody, black, white, Hispanic, indifferent, whatever color you are, they have done everybody a disservice. Um, they don't tell the truth and they have watered down the history. And it was shocking to me that I, it took me to go to college to really learn about black history mm-hmm. in my what early 20s. And I still don't know a lot. Mm-hmm. Or I, I guess I should say I, I still don't know, don't know everything. I moved down south, so I lived in like Louisiana and Georgia for a couple of years. And when you live down south, um, you do get to learn a lot about the civil rights movement, and you learn a lot about like history, especially like black struggle in the United States. And one of the things that I realized, you know, like if your parents aren't from here, you're not going to learn about like the civil rights movement. I mean, there are a lot of things that, you know, you won't know. Um, and I think sometimes that's kind of something that maybe sometimes people don't realize, like, just because you're black doesn't mean you're African American. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that you have nor like understanding of that history. And it's not like your parents can teach that to you. And so you kind of have to learn it on your own. And so when I learned a lot about like the civil rights movement, like the things that African Americans had to go through just like for basic rights it's mm-hmm. ridiculous mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the fact that we even have black immigrants in here is really uh, like the blood sweat and tears i mean death like a lot of mm-hmm. black americans died for civil rights and the fact that we can go to school here we can live here mm-hmm. we can raise kids here is is because of african americans and I think this country does a lot to downplay every contribution and every good thing that mm-hmm. has been um, produced by like African-Americans. All right, everyone. So, you know, based off of what we discussed today, like, what do you think were like the key takeaways from like what we learned from our discussion with our aunts? For me, I'll say my biggest takeaway was uh, the point that Auntie Pat made about having conversations with people, especially people who are different um, from us. Um, I think that communication is, or the lack of communication is probably the root of the majority of the problems that anybody really has. 
Um, and so I think communication is the start of the start of a uh, resolution. So once we are able to kind of hash things out, I'm hoping that we'll be able to uh, better unite and stand with one another because I feel like we're at a critical time in U.S. history um, and we need to be more united and less divided at this point in if we're going to be able to move forward and um, advance the Black race overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ariel, I feel like that that really resonated with me as well, along with um, her her quote just saying that we as Black immigrants continue to reap the benefits of African-American label. And my takeaway from that is that it's really important for us to not contribute to that continued tension and to play an active role in increasing understanding and, as you said, listening Mm -hmm. and hopefully positioning the future generations of our family to um, have a different experience and to contribute to solutions and to not have this dialogue kind of remain stagnant. That's true. Like, I agree with both of you guys. And I just think one of the things that came out from a lot of um, our conversation, in a way, I think that, at least for me, I realized, like, growing up in a like Caribbean community and being around other West Indians to a certain extent was not only a place of refuge, but also like kind of shielded me from a lot of things. And that I do think to a certain extent, while it, it shielded me and like helped me and I was able to like reap a lot of benefits from, you know, growing up here on the flip side, I think it also can like shield you from also understanding what's going on out there. So I do think there's a level that additional effort has to be made to kind of like really understand what's going on in the United States. So I think we all learned a lot from having these conversations with our, with our aunts and I'm looking forward to future discussions we have with our family. I think it's a, it's an interesting, interesting time to reflect Mm -hmm. and, you know, let's see what topic we take up next. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to our very first episode of our podcast, Breadfruit and Biscuits. Anyway, please stay tuned. In the upcoming weeks, we're going to have some new content coming out for everyone to listen to. But in the meantime, please stay safe, healthy, and blessed. All right, peace and love. You want breadfruit? Just tell me if you want breadfruit. breadfruit. You want breadfruit? Catch it down to them called breadfruit.